Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Out of the gates and ready to go. Outkick 360 across the Outkick network from 6th and Peabody alongside Chad Withrow. I'm Jonathan Hutton. Paul Koharski will be along later in the show as he lands from Los Angeles where the Titans return victorious over the Rams last night on Sunday Night Football. 6th and Peabody, the home of Yeehaw Beer, Old Smoky Moonshine. And you, you can join us at the corner of 6th and Peabody for the Outkick 360 studios. Big show today, Ike Taylor, former Pittsburgh Steelers cornerback, Super Bowl champion. He will be on the show as we preview Monday Night Football and we review what was last night, a big football night. And Saturday, some crazy upsets across college football. We are back from Tuscaloosa where LSU nearly pulled the upset over Alabama. Tennessee wins over Kentucky uh, in what was a, a battle for uh, some offseason momentum, we can say. What a great, what a game that was, Chad. And what a, what a day to recap some, some great college and pro football. How about my Purdue Boilermakers beating Hutton's Michigan State Spartans on Saturday in a huge upset? Um, you've got two head coaches at power programs that may be on their way out. Jimmy Lake at Washington now getting a one-game suspension for punching a player on the sideline. I say punching. He says he was breaking up a fight, uh, but he threw a couple right crosses to the face mask of his own player and shoved him from behind. That's not good news for a guy who's not been winning. And then Dan Mullen at Florida. And just another snapshot, Hutton, of how quickly things can unravel over the course of one college football season. Think back to us in Gainesville for Florida and Alabama and Florida nearly upsetting Alabama. And I say, boy, Dan Mullen has figured a lot of things out. This is a team in the SEC championship game just last season. Defense looks better. This team's going to do some things, even with a completely different style at quarterback. And they go to Columbia, South Carolina, and against a team in South Carolina who had not scored more than 23 points against any FBS team. They rush for seven yards a carry. South Carolina does and scores 40 points and wins easily over Florida. Easily. That is a team then, that looks like, you hate to use the, the Q word, looks like they've quit. Oh, well, use it. That's L- exactly looks like they've quit like. on their coach with that, that well, game. And then uh, the numbers that LSU ranked up, uh, racked up on them. You know, they set school records the night that they played the Gators. It, it's incredible. And then, you know, the game we're at in Tuscaloosa, uh, by the way, huge thanks to, to Farm Folio, who's always a, a terrific host and the sponsor of Outkick the Tailgate uh, for a great weekend. But what a crazy game that was. You know, we went into it. <laughs> we talked about it Saturday morning, Hudden. We were loading up on Alabama to cover the 30 points. And win that game easily. And Alabama just stubbed their toe all night on offense. LSU, Ed Ogeron is an interesting guy in that, you know, the moment you think, boy, they don't have a coach, they're on their way out, they come up with an inspired effort, especially on defense in that game against Alabama. 
holding them to under 30 points for the first time in 37 games. That was the streak for Alabama going over 30. They're throwing it in the end zone to win it on the last play of the game. Crazy, crazy night uh, down in Tuscaloosa that ended with something that's not crazy at all. Another Alabama win in the SEC West against a rival. So I guess all's well that ends well. But then that immediately starts all the jokes from people. Boy, with that impressive Alabama win, you know, this committee is going to go ahead and jump Georgia and put them in number one (laughs) with all that they've done. Uh, And you saw the obvious coming with that. But either way, Alabama survives. Michigan State, a team in the top four, did not survive. Plenty to to, to discuss, Hutton, including what was a pretty wild day in the the NFL that ended uh, in a way that at least watching Sunday Night Football and their pregame crew, only one person predicted that was Mike Tirico out of about 12 different predictions. Everyone had the Rams, and uh, Tariko nailed it. But what a night for the Titans. What a crazy weekend period for the NFL. I mean, there's no reason to pick the Titans last night if you're picking that game. No. No reason to pick Jacksonville over Buffalo. No reason to pick Denver over Dallas. Uh, It was some weird upsets across the league, and and one of them last night with the Titans against the Rams was no fluke. I mean, the the Rams made some some errors and were flustered uh, the same way we mentioned Alabama. Alabama has been showing these signs of uh, self-destruction throughout the season. And I I was uh, talking to several Bama fans this weekend about here and there, sprinkled throughout their games, are personal fouls uh, or, you know, roughing the punter, missed extra points, inopportune fumbles, uh, small things. 10 men or 12 men on the field after a timeout or to start the fourth quarter. Uh, silly penalties that you normally don't see from a Nick Saban coached team. We're seeing it with this Alabama team, and that's ultimately what got got them beat against A&M, even though they had that big comeback. A&M still won on the road. Uh, Alabama lost on the road, excuse me. And then LSU nearly won on the road by the same thing, having the football with five minutes to go. Uh, The difference was LSU is no A&M when it comes down to it this year. Um, A&M with a nice win over Auburn that we'll get to later in the show. Same thing for the Rams. You know, Rams top team in the NFC going into Sunday night, and they look like the team that was distracted. They look like the team that would not have poise after losing their top offensive weapon. And while the Titans certainly were not good on offense last night, they, last night on, on local TV, I said they weren't great. They weren't good last night on offense. Their defense continues to improve, and they're now a group that this team can count on. And that's why they're going to be in games even without Derrick Henry. They showed last night that they can stick with their identity, which is strong, gritty effort on defense to keep them in games and allow them to figure things out on offense, which we discussed all last week. Well, and, and major props to Shane Bowen. I mean, defensively, that, that to me, that's a story of this Titan season is they go from the talking point a year ago was, boy, the Titans look really good on offense. Can they stop anyone on third down? Can they sack the quarterback? Can they even apply pressure to the quarterback? And this year, the, the defense goes in on a Sunday night game in L.A. and single-handedly wins them the game. And they're getting pressure. Five sacks on Matthew Stafford last night. They're getting to the quarterback. Three from Simmons. Good offseason additions, mainly to Nico Autry, to add some pressure on offensive lines next to Jeffrey Simmons. But Kevin Byard... We've known for a while how good Kevin Byard is, but he's stepping up this year. Four picks in his last five games. David Long has been a revelation at linebacker for them. Way better. I know Jayon Brown was a good story for a while. Way better than Jayon Brown yep. is David Long Jr. The guy looks like a star uh, for this Titans defense. So the way that they've gotten it done in different ways with different 
groups of personnel missing on defense has been amazing. And look, 195 yards on offense, they weren't good on offense last night, but what they're having to do now on offense, it's why I warn Titans fans, don't overreact if it's really bad on Sunday night because they have to figure things out. Well, here's what they just did. They went to L.A. and completed one game of trying to figure out life after Derrick Henry, and oh, by the way, they blew out the Rams in the process, which is incredible for me to even say. They had 14 points, essentially, on defense. Yeah, um, and they had the nice drive to make it 28-9 to uh, <laughs> on that final drive of the game that really put it away. Uh, but other than that, I mean, just not a lot done uh, offensively. A.J. Brown with some bad drops in the game, which did not help them. Uh, I thought Julio Jones looked closer to healthy in this game at times. He's, he still has not looked uh, very fast. Well, his, the but he looked better than catches, he has. But all those catches mattered, Yeah, right? The big, big, big moments for Julio. Um, but they, they won despite their offense last night as they figure it out. And, and the key here is what they did offensively must improve. Because no team in the NFL has had as few yards as the Titans did last night and won a game. That's the fewest yards a single team has had offensively and actually won in the National Football League this year. That's got to improve, and then they know this. Um, The next key, and we'll get to this later in the show uh, when Paul arrives from L.A., the next key for this team now is figuring out on offense what they're going to do when they trail. Because last night it worked out perfectly They had the lead. They were able to sit on the lead, run clock, and essentially win the game and not really running the football at, well, less than 70 yards as a team. That's not their identity offensively, and it's all about volume of carries paired with, what, 25, 30 passes from Ryan Tannehill at most. That's what they want. They got the the formula that they needed with everyone else stepping up around them, and they won against a good Rams team, a Rams team that self-destructed. Matthew Stafford with a terrible decision to throw the football away. I, I get in the, in, the, in the exact moment, maybe you don't know where you are and you're, you're worried about the safety, so you get rid of the football, but throwing it right too long, you threw it right to him for the interception. That was basically a pick six. Um, next play, touchdown Jeff Swaim. Play after that, return for a touchdown by Kevin Byard. That's all she wrote. You could see the look on Stafford's face. It was over. They were not going to get back in it. But the defense played for four quarters. That was the one solidification of of the Titans' victory. The defense showed up for all four quarters. There was no big run by this this L.A. offense. And you just kept, you know, even at halftime, when it's it's 21-3 to at the break, it felt like the Titans were just trying to run out the clock, especially that third quarter where there's a couple of field goals. Holding them to those field goals, huge. But it just felt like, okay, well, maybe, that was the key for me maybe the there's just not enough time left for the Rams to ever do anything because you also never got any great confidence the Titans were going to explode in the game offensively. So maybe, just maybe, if the defense could continue to look like this, the Titans can run out the clock on the Rams. That's exactly what they did. Four straight wins is the underdog? The straight-up underdog? It's either four or five now five for the Titans. Now. Five wins pull it up. as a Vegas underdog is, is really incredible. And now the Titans are 6-0 against last year's playoff teams on their schedule. There's no better resume in football than the Tennessee Titans right now um, with their wins and what they've done. Yeah, five now. They beat Seattle. Uh, see, they were six-and-a-half-point underdogs against the Seahawks. They won that in overtime, one by three. Six-point underdogs against Buffalo. Uh, they won by three. Four-point underdogs against Kansas City. They won that game by 24. Three-point underdogs against the Colts. They won that game by three. And then in uh, last night, seven-point underdogs at kickoff. 
won that game by 12. Crazy. Some big uh, big news, by the way, just coming down uh, right now out of Lincoln, Nebraska. Scott Frost isn't going anywhere at Nebraska. An announcement for university, he will be back for the 2022 season, and he has restructured his contract to take years and money off of it to come back. So, so he has worked with Trev Alberts. So Tre- this was take this or... Trev Alberts says, in my, in my four months at Nebraska, of course, Trev, Trev Alberts, a former great Nebraska player also, in my four months in Nebraska, I have closely observed our football team and had several productive discussions with Coach Frost. Scott has laid out a clear plan and vision for the future of Nebraska football and has agreed to a restructured contract. I'm excited to continue to work together with Scott. We share a love of Nebraska and this football program and want nothing more than Nebraska football to again compete for championships. We all recognize our record has not been what anyone wants it to be. I have been clear that I have been looking for incremental progress, and I have seen that in several key areas this season. Our team has continued to compete at a high level, and the young men in our program have remained unified and showed great effort, a great resiliency, which is an important reflection of the leadership of Coach Frost and his staff. Here is where Nebraska has shown a lot of progress. Their defense is good. Defense is really good. Eric Chenander, the defensive coordinator, has done a terrific job. Scott Frost has not. The offense has not. Adrian Martinez has not progressed. And that's the well, big that question be- mark for a head coach who is an offensive coordinator yeah. and known for his offense, but yet it's the defense carrying Nebraska and keeping them in these games and making them respectable. Keep in mind, Michigan State beat them in overtime, and they didn't get one first down from halftime on in that game and still won the game against Nebraska's defense. So I think this makes sense. They don't get into the details of what the restructured contract means. It has to mean they put, took years off of it. They lowered the buyout to fire him, all of that. Right, Hutton? This seems like a move to say, all right, you want to be back? You're not getting this insane amount of money you've been getting, and we're going to take a year off the contract, and we're going to at least lower the buyout. That's what this restructured contract. This is not an extension. This is not a raise. This is reducing money in the buyout. Well, this was an ultimatum. In order to come back. Uh, I take this as an ultimatum. Yeah, take it or leave. Where, where else are you going to go? You've got your quote-unquote dream job right now. Do you want another year to figure it out or not? Well, how well here's I, what you got to do to figure it out. It's just so uh, unusual to see a program come to a coach and say, yeah, you're not earning this contract. You are you're, have a reduction in salary. Well, if it was any other coach that's not the returning football hero for the school, he would have been fired. This discussion wouldn't have happened because he would have been fired midseason. If, if this was not Scott Frost, Nebraska, if this is any other coach, he's fired by now. They're not even talking to him about restructuring his contract or lowering his buyout. He's gone. Well, in, in other cases, we see this a lot in pro sports. In other cases, when the organization, when the franchise comes to the coach and does something like this, there are in, included in this are a handshake agreement that you're making coaching staff changes as well. And a lot of times the coach refuses to do that because they don't like being told what they can and can't do with their staff. They control their staff. I'm, I'm curious if this includes anything like that where, hey, we want you to stick around. We're going to restructure the contract, whatever it needs to be. And, oh, by the way, here's how we see things going. Here's who we want as a part of this. And maybe more importantly, here's who we don't want a part of this moving forward. Any chance that he would do something like that? I don't know who they want to get rid of because, again, here's the problem. The head coach of their offense is the head coach. The only person to fire is the head coach. Because he's in charge of the offense. 
Maybe the analytics the one, guy that went for a field goal against Ohio State. Right. Like, like if this was a Dan Mullen situation where late last night he fires Todd Grantham and the offensive line coach to save face and keep his job, if the defense sucked at Nebraska, they could easily come to him and say, I know he's your buddy, but you got to fire the defensive coordinator. But the defensive coordinator has carried Nebraska and Scott Frost. So they want to do anything they can to keep him and not have him leave for some other job. They did a great job against Ohio State. We'll get into that game uh, coming up a bit later in the show. Rapid fire around week nine in the NFL when we return with some big upsets in the National Football League. That's all straight ahead on Outkick 360. First, though, when you're traveling to a destination where you don't know the language, it can be challenging to accomplish even the simplest of tasks. And here's Babbel, the number one selling language learning app right now. Babbel's bite-sized lessons. You'll learn new language skills that you can actually use in the real world from greetings, menus, directions, Gaining a deeper understanding of the culture, Babbel is a travel essential. And Chad, it's a 15-minute lesson. And I'd love to learn a new language. I'm thinking about Portuguese, actually. Maybe 15 minutes wow. is enough time for me to learn Portuguese. 15 minutes a day. Other language learning apps use AI for their lesson plans, but Babbel lessons were created by over 100 language experts. Their teaching method has been scientifically proven to be effective. With Babbel, you can choose from 14 different languages, including Spanish, French, Italian, German, maybe my Portuguese as well. There's so many ways to learn with Babbel. In addition to lessons, you can access podcasts, games, video stories, and even live classes. Start your new language learning journey today with Babbel. A three-month Babbel subscription right now with an additional three months for free. Six months for the price of three. Go to Babbel.com. Use the promo code OUTKICK360. B-A-B-B-E-L.com. Code OUTKICK360. Outkick 360, glad you're with us across the network today. PK will be with us from L.A. uh, as he uh, lands back in Nashville, we think soon. He'll be here in the final hour. Looking forward to recapping Titans and Rams in depth coming up on the show. Uh, That is among the top upsets across the NFL. Not the only one. Not the not the only uh, one. Oh, not the biggest one. Uh, plenty to discuss with uh, the Bills falling to Jacksonville nine six, uh, and setting uh, the the NFL back in offense. What we thought we knew about the NFL offense uh, that died in Jacksonville. Um, it, Raiders, Bengals, Cowboys all lose in Week Nine. Can we start with Buffalo falling flat on their face in Jacksonville, Hutton? Absolutely. Um, it's not that they lost to Jacksonville. It, well, no, let me start again. It is that they lost to Jacksonville. That's a terrible, terrible loss for Buffalo. But I'm in a group text with some buddies, and the, the key takeaway is they lost 9-6 to six to Jacksonville. Shocking for that Bills offense and what we saw earlier this year. I'm thinking back to that game against the Chiefs. Heck, the game against the Titans, you know, that they had offense going in that game even. It's remarkable to think, they're capable of going to Jacksonville and losing 9-6. to six. And then Josh Allen comes out postgame and says, yeah, we played like bleep, and we got to figure that out because this was awful. Well, the other Josh Allen dominant. did not play like bleep. He was he dominant. Uh, and everyone's going crazy over the two guys with the same name, which is really funny. But when's the last time we talked about pass rusher Josh Allen from Kentucky? It's about time he showed up and did something. His rookie year. Right, he splashed a little bit in his rookie year. We haven't really heard from him since. Eight tackles, two tackles for loss, an interception, and a fumble recovery in this game. Okay, so part of me is thinking, great, nice story. 
Other part of me, the cynical side of Chad, says this. It took a guy having your same name to motivate you to play that yeah, way for the first time. Like I, at post game, he's acting. I am so sick and disgusted of having to Google Josh <laughs> Allen, Kentucky, in order to find me because the first Josh Allen that pops up is the quarterback of the Bills, and I can't stand for that anymore. So I went out there and dominated the game. <laughs> you were drafted to dominate games. No doubt, man. And you haven't done it since your rookie year at any point. It's very weird that suddenly he wakes up and just goes ham against the guy with his same name at quarterback and also laugh at everything. I'm watching NBC last night, and it's Josh Allen becomes the first guy to sack a quarterback of his same name. Josh Allen becomes the first NFL player in history to intercept a quarterback of the same name. I mean, it's fun to discuss, but not the, that uh, big of a deal. Well, let, let's go deeper on this because I was watching NFL Red Zone yesterday, and I didn't see a lot of Jacksonville and Buffalo. And, you know, it's not because they – I mean – Neither team did very much on offense. It was 9-6 the final. Buffalo reached the red zone. By definition of the show, Buffalo reached the red zone one time, and it was on their opening possession. That's it. This Buffalo offense did not reach the red zone except for the opening possession of the game against the Jacksonville Jaguars. The Bills, and you start to dig into, okay, I think there are a lot of people that are still going to say Buffalo ahead of Tennessee this week in the AFC. And the, the AFC is just a jumbled mess. They have some really good teams. But who can you really count on? Who do you really trust in the American Football Conference of the NFL? And you, you have to make up reasons as to why and ifs, ands, and buts as to why you would rank them number one. Somebody's got to be there. Uh, for me, it's Tennessee. Buffalo, meanwhile, when you start to dig in and what they've done, their, their victories this season are against Washington, Miami, Houston, and Kansas City. Those four teams make up their five victories. They're five and three. They have losses to Tennessee. They lost, of course, yesterday. And lost to the... I mean, you start to dig around, look around at what they've done and what they haven't done. There's nothing consistent about Buffalo. Their defense is really good. They rank number one in a lot of categories, but... Defense only gets you so far in a league that is set up for teams to score. A league that is set up just based on the rules for the quarterback to dominate. And for a couple of games this season, we have seen Josh Allen under consistent pressure. The quarterback, Josh Allen, under consistent pressure. Um, for a couple of games this season, we have seen Josh Allen have to throw the football more than 50 times, which spells disaster in the league. You're playing from behind in that situation. And a lot of times you're under duress because you're, you're not able to mass protect because you need to catch up and, and, and push the football down the field. Um, that's a big problem with Trevor Lawrence right now in Jacksonville. They're asking him to throw the football a lot because they don't run it consistent enough. Uh, same thing in Buffalo. They have no consistent run game for a team that preached all offseason about wanting to be more balanced. They can't feature balance because they can't run it or stick to the run long enough for them to actually possess the football and get some rhythm going with their run game. Everyone knows what's coming. And it's also, to me, the big apprehension I have now with the Titans moving forward without Derrick Henry is what their run game is ultimately going to look like when everything shakes out offensively for them. And I think that if you're still riding with the Bills as the team in the AFC, 
You're only doing that because they were in the AFC Championship most recently outside of Kansas City. Well, who would you ride and went with? To, and went to the Super Bowl. I, I would ride with the Titans based on results. This is like my debate about... I still don't trust them. I don't either, but that's the AFC. Who do you well, trust that's my AFC? question. Well, at Buffalo. Buffalo is still among I the do top not, teams. But again, I don't trust Buffalo. They just went and lost 9-6 to six to Jacksonville. They lost to this Titans team we're talking about. They've looked good at times, but... The Titans, six of their seven wins were against playoff teams from a year ago. They've already swept the Colts. I'm shocked that I'm saying this because the Titans have a left tackle who's either injured or doesn't want to play when Mm -hmm. he's actually available to play. They've got a defense that's been banged up this year that was one of the worst in football a year ago. Their entire team on offense was revolving around Derrick Henry, and he's injured, and he's out. But I still sit here on Monday after they beat the Rams and think, Based on results, again, this is the old college football playoff committee thing that I talk about. you got to base it off results and not necessarily what's going to happen in the future. Based off what I've seen from these teams this year, the Titans have a miserable performance against a very good Arizona team that no one knew quite how good they were in that first week. And they got blasted in game one. And they've got their mulligan game they'd like back. They've got a game that they played without A.J. Brown, with a lot of injury concerns against the Jets. They looked awful. They lost that game. Outside of that, and they're, they're not just outside of that. You have to factor that in. But their total resume, better than everyone in the AFC. Because they scored in overtime in a couple of games. Yeah, better than everyone in the AFC. Again, win or lose. Except for Baltimore. Baltimore's the one, the one spot that, yes. Baltimore's also winning in overtime a lot. I mean, they're winning late. They have uh, Justin Tucker, who wins them games in overtime. From anywhere on the field, you know, 66 yards or 23-yard chip shots. Uh, they trailed by 14 points two separate times yesterday uh, and still beat the Vikings 34-31 in overtime. Why do you have the Bills over the Ravens? Uh, I would have the Bills over the Ravens because of their defense and because of the fact that Lamar Jackson is ha- asked to do way too much right now. Lamar Jackson, uh, while I, I think he's in contention for MVP, He's carrying Baltimore. 21 times the quarterback carried the football yesterday. 21 times. I don't think that equals longevity for him. I think Josh Allen has a chance, chance to be healthier than Lamar Jackson. I think the, the Ravens, to me right now, the Ravens discussion, Hutton, is, is even more valid than Bills versus Titans in terms of who's been the best so far this year. And look, I, I say I'm taking the Titans right now. I'm taking the Titans because I think their wins and their resume is better than everyone else in the AFC. But I also just watched them put up 195 yards. I know that Rams defense is good, but that's not going to be good enough because you're not going to get, well, maybe they will continue to get games like this, but I don't think you're going to get that two-play sequence where the game turns completely uh, with Matthew Stafford uh, looking like Carson Wentz on those two plays and giving the ball to the Titans and essentially giving the game to the Titans. They've got to figure things out on offense, but Given where they've been and what their schedule looks like now down the stretch, I like the Titans and what they've done. Also, I watched Lamar Jackson play very well in Nashville in a playoff game a year ago and beat the Titans with a healthy Derrick Henry. So who's the best bet come playoff time? I, I, I fall back to what have we seen with the Bills. They're the most recent team outside of KC going to back-and-back Super Bowls to be in that AFC Championship game where it was the Titans there the year before. Well, I, I point to Buffalo only because Buffalo 
Offensively, I feel like yesterday is an anomaly for what they are and who they are, points-wise. You holding Buffalo to six points? I don't. I don't. I, the thing about Baltimore is they have trailed by double digits. They had that comeback win over the Colts. They were getting blown out. And they come back and win. They can score, but my 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 point on Baltimore is they trailed by fourteen twice yesterday to Minnesota. They got down big against Vegas in the opening week. Now. They're coming back and winning some games. But at some point, that catches up to you when you start digging these holes. And I, the Vikings, meanwhile, man, they, how many games have they lost on a field goal? Well, and it, it's going to cost their coach his job. Yeah, he's going to get, Zimmer's going to get fired. He's going to get fired. Um, here's the stat on Lamar Jackson. He carried the ball 21 times yesterday, 120 yards. I mean, the guy's unbelievable. He has 97 rushes from quarterback already this season. That is more than their top two running backs right now combined. Their top two running backs have 92 total carries on the season. Lamar Jackson has 97 individually. It's the- if he's not running and humming, the offense does nothing. And you just go back to the preseason with all those running back injuries yeah. for the Ravens and, and where they could be right now versus where they are. But, but still... It's it's a mess. I mean, it really is. Uh, you could say that really across the league uh, in a lot of ways, but when you look at the AFC, every team is flawed. We know that. They, they all have some sort of wart. But what the Titans – the Titans is, what, a seven-and-a-half-point underdog last night also in that game? Yes. And winning going away. What they've done in these big games – Mike Frabel is getting a reputation as as that kind of coach. You know, when it's, hey, don't bet against the Titans in these big moments. Don't bet against the Titans on Monday Night Football against the Bills. Don't bet against the Titans against Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. Don't bet against the Titans on Sunday Night Football against the Rams. You bet against them against the Saints? Yes. And <laughs> that's, 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 that's what I'm going to get to. That's why I don't have the number and one. That, that's the problem. Now it's, okay, well, there's a sleepy noon kickoff coming up against the Saints and Trevor Simeon, but, and I don't know if the Titans are going to look the same. Yeah, it, it's, it's worked out perfectly for the league. It, right now. Also, by the way, I'm not betting on the Titans in the playoffs all the time. When I say that about Mike Vrabel, it seems to be more of a regular season thing. He, he had the nice run to the AFC Championship, but I guess I'm still clouded by that really bad performance where they look good leading up to that game. Well, not really. They had the bad game in Green Bay, but the performance gets Baltimore last year. Uh, if the Steelers win tonight, they're going to be 11 teams in the AFC with a winning record. That would tie the 2014 season through week nine for the most teams with a winning record in the AFC. There is a lot of balance across the conference. There's good football and bad football, and you don't really know which team's going to represent that each category week to week. Uh, the Titans have been the most consistent team over the last month, and their defense is for real because it starts on the interior with Jeffrey Simmons and Danico Autry getting penetration and getting the quarterback outside of that center guard triangle uh, where you just can't stand around and survey. And you, you force the quarterback to get on the move, uh, especially whenever you go empty back and you don't have the extra tailback for protection on one of those two guys when they break uh, the, the initial line of scrimmage. Um, when the Rams went empty tailback last night, they were dominated. The Titans dominated them up front and got to Stafford quickly. And we, we saw McVay go away from that in the second half, putting the running back back there next to McVay for the majority of the final two quarters. Uh, that's a great sign that this defense has it going. When you have an offensive coordinator who's having a game plan 
for your defensive front. And there are not not many teams. There, there are more than what I recall last year. Um, I think the pass rush overall has really improved across the league through the first half of the season based on my expectations of it because I remember teams having to blitz a lot more. And right now there are teams that can get to the quarterback with four. And that's how you beat Josh Allen. That's how you beat Patrick Mahomes. That's how you get Matthew Stafford on the ground. That's how you contain Lamar Jackson with a spy is by rushing with four and having an extra player. And that's what Jacksonville did yesterday with Josh Allen. That's what we saw through the first half. That's what we saw Minnesota and Zimmer's defense do with Lamar Jackson. And that's what we saw last night on Sunday night with the Titans and Stafford. Well, and the Titans example is a good one, Hutton, of what you're bringing about rushing for, but also starting in the middle with Autry, with Jeffrey Simmons, who played like an absolute man possessed last night. Uh, It was terrific. The play that I point to, though, about the Titans and what they've been defensively and this great step up that we've seen was not the first interception where Stafford's spinning in the end zone and throws it right to David Long Jr., but the Kevin Byard pick six where we saw a clip earlier this year of Rashawn Evans look like uh, he was a, a dog chasing his tail in coverage at one point, didn't even know where he was going and kind of moving around in an awkward way. And then you see Kevin Byard last night completely bait Matthew Stafford, who's been maybe the best quarterback of the NFL this year, bait him into a throw where he knows exactly where he's trying to go in the flat. And they're also getting pressure in that moment also quicker than the Titans would have a year ago. To me, that was a play where I'm looking at it thinking, okay, this Titans team knows exactly what they're doing. They know exactly who they are right now. They know where pressure's coming from. But I, I thought that play was really indicative of, of, of just how much better they've gotten and, you know, how much more clear things can be when you actually have a defensive coordinator in, in name, in Shane Bowen. And he's, he's, made a, he's made a great impact. We talked a lot a year ago about the Titans and a lack of direction, lack of voice on defense. And we're not talking about it this year now that they have a defensive coordinator in name. Well, their their defense, outstanding. I mean, we we mentioned well, last year we harped on, if you're not from the, the Nashville area, this third down defense in Tennessee was the worst period over the course of the, the NFL uh, stat keeping and, and bookkeepers. It was horrible. And now they're top 12, top 13 in the league in that third down category. Extremely good in red zone defense as well, which was something that they were actually good at last year, forcing field goals. And the reason why they lost to the Jets is the same reason the Rams lost to the Titans last night. Uh, You get to the red zone, the Titans scored touchdowns. The Rams got to the red zone and kicked field goals. And that's why the Titans pulled the upset. That's the remedy for having to figure out how to how to manage offensively without your MVP. Hutton, a week ago, we were talking about the Cowboys finding a way to get it done with a backup quarterback. In the moment, every time this season, I start to think, here is a team that's great, that has a chance at greatness, that this, they are delivering on preseason expectation and then some. An awful Sunday happens, or an awful game happens. The Dallas Cowboys were that team yesterday. They got manhandled. By Denver. Yeah, and Fangio's defense dominated. That's a huge win for Vic Fangio. Uh, the Cowboys offense came in scoring 40 points per game and generated five first downs and 122 yards with roughly 11 minutes left in the fourth quarter. You looked up at the stats. And by the way, they, they kept Dak Prescott in throughout all that. That's a message from McCarthy about managing a mess. They didn't put the backup back in despite the blowout. Um this game 
was not close. The Cowboys did not score until the fourth quarter. It was 30 to nothing. And Denver came out. I, I was concerned with Denver on the message that it would send that Von Miller, the face of the franchise, was shipped out in a trade. And they trade him for a second and third round pick for a guy that they weren't really going to count on or use for the rest of the season, a guy that they're not going to re-sign or extend. They were done with him. They get a second and third round pick for a guy that they hadn't. They were not going to include in their future. And defensively, they took a step forward. They were already really good. They top 10 defense. But then shut down the, one of the top offenses in the NFL at home. Well, two teams that, you know, mastered in the art of the bounce back after a difficult messaging week. One, you just brought up Hutton, and you, you said it well, with Von Miller being traded, the Broncos uh, in that game bouncing back where it looks like they're completely conceding, and instead they go out and pound Dallas. And the other one are, are the Cleveland Browns, who, as Baker Mayfield said, had to put up a lot of BS in the last week because of Odell Beckham Jr., and they bounce back and look great in easily beating Cincinnati. Well, the, the thing about Dallas, Dallas reminds me, their defense reminds me of the Indianapolis Colts defenses from 15 years ago with Peyton Manning, where you're going to play with a lead. And because you play with a lead, you make the opponent one-dimensional. Well, Denver came in, took care of the defensive effort against the top offense. They grabbed the lead, and then they took over with their run game with uh, Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon. 111 yards on 17 carries is what they combined for against that Dallas defense. They're not built to stop the run. And that first, I think, uh, yeah, it was the first touchdown for Melvin Gordon in the game. It was a third and goal from the two, and it was it was like an old student body right play out of I formation, and they just blew the Cowboys off the line. I mean, he was into the end zone five yards until there was a Cowboys player around him. They just completely shoved the Cowboys defense aside, easily ran it in. I'm very impressed with Denver yesterday. Coming up, SEC reaction from the weekend. Three big things we learned from Saturday. That's next on Outkick 360. Three big things we learned from the SEC weekend. Welcome back, Outkick 360, across the Outkick network. Chad, three things for me. First, Tennessee has the right coach. Florida does not. And A&M is spoiling seasons. A&M took down Alabama and showed that Alabama is flawed. And since that game, Alabama, although they have won, to me, I'm going to reverse order now, to me, with Alabama, there are still signs that A&M can happen and will happen again. We nearly saw it Saturday night in Tuscaloosa. That's number one. Number two, Dan Mullen in Florida, it's hard not to see this ending poorly for Mullen with the way that the Gators performed yesterday, or excuse me, on Saturday against South Carolina and the signs that we've seen from Florida this season based on expectations and based on the fact that, I mean, I, I, going back to last week, even before South Carolina, I said, if you're Dan Mullen at the podium and you look at, you look at November's schedule, why are you acting like you're feeling heat? It's and then look what happened. And exactly. You treat South Carolina like the stepchild of the SEC, as other teams do if you're a top team, and you move forward to Samford. <laughs> Not Stanford, Samford. And then you move forward which, down which the line and you, you blow out Florida State, a bad Florida State. I mean, it's not like there's some daunting schedule where you have Georgia coming up and you're fighting for the SEC championship. 
you just went out and you have eight wins and you point to recruiting and say, okay, now we're focused on recruiting. Sorry, <laughs> I was focused on winning games. Now it's recruiting season, as he said. But uh, you know where I'm coming from this. Yeah. Like, it, the way he reacted was a coach that was coaching for his future and, and or answering a question for his coaching future. is very peculiar coming from a guy that I felt like was secure in the position that he has. Um, number two, uh, Florida. Number And, and the, the top thing I learned is on the flip side, Tennessee has a coach that game in and game out, win or lose, is scheming players open. This offense, even during um, during losses, uh, looking at Alabama, Florida comes to mind. They're a great example. There were plays where Josh Heupel had wide receivers running wide open. Now, at the time, could the quarterback get him the football or not? I understand what happened. Some of these passes are dropped or they're incomplete because they're 30 miles uh, over the stadium roof. My point here is Heupel knows how to get guys open in a league where big plays matter. And Tennessee is great at the big plays. Sometimes I think they score way too fast <laughs> for my liking. Sometimes it's okay to run clock. Heupel doesn't know how to do that, but the offense is staged to a point where, Chad, they don't have to do that. Because he's confident that if they don't get it and they punt with a minute and 15 on a possession, as soon as they get it back, they're going to score in 24 seconds. Well, right? I want to get into this Tennessee-Kentucky point you're making because this is one of my big, uh, the three big things from this weekend. Uh, the fact that you can win a game possessing the football for 13 minutes out of 60. 47 minutes time of possession for Kentucky to 13 for Tennessee. 99 plays. That is a school record all time in the history of Kentucky football. Home of Bear Bryant at one point. Kentucky football. 99 plays, an all-time record. Tennessee ran 44 plays. They averaged over 21 yards per, per completion in that game. That was the height of efficiency for Tennessee's offense. And it was the worst defensive performance of the year for Tennessee. They've been overachievers on defense. They were underachievers this weekend. They had tackling issues coming off the bye week. I know they're very thin on defense. That was the defense Hutton I expected to see all season long mm -hmm. uh, was what we saw Saturday night because that's not a very good Kentucky offense, and they didn't punt. Tennessee's defense never forced to punt that game. Now, they made big plays late, and they made the key plays in that fourth quarter. All three sacks came in the fourth quarter. Uh, the pick six in the, in the third quarter by Alante Taylor and then the fourth down stop to win the game. Two for me is that South Carolina is quietly having a, a really special season in year one. If they get bowl eligible – they're on their fourth quarterback with Shane Beamer. And that was the signature win they needed this season. If they beat Missouri, which is no given, but if they beat Missouri, they're going bowling in year one under Shane Beamer. He's, he's quietly done a nice job. And three for me is on the flip side of that Tennessee-Kentucky game. Uh, Tennessee ruined any chance of Kentucky saying they had a special season. It's not special. They beat a bad Florida team. That was the start of Florida's demise. They just, they just got whipped by 23 at South Carolina. They well, had some nice things happen early. Two weeks ago, the Sugar Bowl was in reach. Yeah, they got Ed Orgeron fired. This is not a great LSU team. That's the night they started to quit. And then when they had a chance to beat a Tennessee head coach in year one and win back-to-back -back in the series for the first time since 1977, yep. they lost at home in a game where their offense was terrific, where their offense was the best it's been all year. And as the 18th-ranked team in the country, they lose at home to Tennessee. Kentucky season just can't be special after that win. Big plays are the ways to win in college football. And Tennessee, Chad's alluding to the stat sheet, 
if you look at the stat sheet and you look at the offense that Kentucky put up, 600-plus yards of offense, dominating time of possession, not punting in the game, and they lost because Tennessee had two plays of 70 or more yards go for touchdowns in the same quarter. That's the only, the, the only instance of that happening across college football this year happened Saturday where Tennessee pulled that off. And then they have drives of 11 seconds, 26 seconds, 45 seconds, 44 seconds, 16 seconds. Josh Heupel's doing some great things offensively with the talent that he inherited. And it's so refreshing that we're not having to hear about, oh, wait until I get my guys here. We're building this brick by brick. We're following court. He took over the program, and he's doing some great things with the players he inherited. Appreciate that as they finish the season. Now kick their 60-year-olds on. Hang with us.